From Amman, Jordan. This is Collateral Repair Podcast. I'm Aaron Weintraub. And I'm Jason Wilson. Collateral Repair Podcast is a product of Collateral Repair Project. Collateral Repair Project, or CRP, is a 501c3 nonprofit helping vulnerable refugees and needy Jordanians in Amman, Jordan through basic needs assistance and trauma relief programming. Today, we're going to do something a little different uh, from what we've done in our past few episodes. We're going to sit down with CRP's executive director, Amanda Lane, and talk about the past year that CRP's had. Uh, Amanda is in charge of the organization's fundraising efforts. Uh, she's in charge of program planning and uh, partner relations and donor relations. And we're going to talk to her about uh how far CRP's come while she's uh, been there and, and where she wants it to go next. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're five episodes into this podcast. Uh, it's been a great experience. I thought it was a great opportunity to do a look back. Uh, end of the year is kind of right for that sort of thing. Um, I won't talk too much now because you guys are going to hear me on the interview portion of the podcast. Uh, but I just want to open by... Uh, being grateful for this opportunity uh, to tell this story, uh, grateful for everyone who's listened and, and, and all of your feedback, um, and grateful for Collateral Repair Project and, and, and how we've been able to grow. And how they've given us the license to kind of, and Amanda has given us the license to kind of pursue this project and, and tell these stories. And I, I, hope, I hope it has been as meaningful to you as it has been to me. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, without further ado, Amanda Lane. So we we start every podcast saying CRP is a 501c3 nonprofit helping vulnerable refugees and needy Jordanians in Amman, Jordan with basic needs and trauma relief programming. Um, but I want to know what makes CRP unique? I would say that CRP is unique because our approach is quite different um, in that we are a full stop shop for helping people with the emergency basic needs help that they need. Um, that's usually how they first access us. Um, but we really work hard to get them to come into our community center and take part in activities whether they're educational, um, community building, or psychosocial wellness type activities. Um, what really, oh, that is unique in itself in that we're offering both of those types of programs, not only like community building or development programs, but also um, humanitarian or, um, you know, relief programs. Um, but what makes us especially unique i think is that we have so many people who get involved um, refugees who we've helped who become then community leaders and who begin to give back through community service and um, really take an active role in leading our programs and making our community center what it is and really um this community service is a huge key to their resilience, which, you know, is something that we didn't necessarily plan, but something that's really grown and something that we've, you know, we found out is a real key driver in people becoming, beginning to heal, beginning to be empowered or transformed, but really being resilient. How did CRP evolve 
into that model? Well, I believe, I mean, I've always believed that getting people involved is a real important part of, of what we needed to be doing. That if we are a community organization that, you know, people, community members should be actually getting involved they're not just coming and receiving services from us that Mm. if we really wanted it to be part of the community we had to find a way to also make it um you know amenable for people being able to get involved not just as i don't know like sitting and receiving an english class or computer class or something like that um but it was really by virtue of necessity in many ways. I mean, when we first started, we our funds were so, so small that we, if we were going to start a, a new class or some new activity, we didn't have funds to just go and hire a teacher to lead, to lead the, yeah. the class. So, so really, we realized that we already had so much, um, so much, you know, expertise or talent or skill and also interest in our community to get involved in and offer up what they had um, to offer. So, yeah, that that was a big a big way that yeah. it started. And, and now CRP relies on local volunteer staff. And we have, I don't know, are we almost 20 probably who come in every day and are running our... That's right our distributions, they're doing home assessments, they're program managing. Um, How does that model work? Well, um, for people who are refugees, it's a little tricky to be officially known as staff. So um, when we talk about our volunteers, we, our volunteers are people who literally are volunteering Mm -hmm. their time for no payment. Um, we have a little bit of a different category for staff members who may not legally be allowed to work, and that's the case for for nearly all refugees in Jordan. So, so in general, these are people who have come in, who we've met through our community, who we've helped their families or we've helped them. They've come in, you know, for various um, activities that we offer at the center, and. In many cases, the people who now are staff members are they're people who were community leaders in some way. They had been standout volunteer candidates, um, you know, or standout volunteers who had been leading activities. Um, and they're willing to come in every day at ten and stay till five and commit to the hours and prove themselves to just be really reliable people who really care about CRP. Yes, and early on, it's interesting too because as um, our budget has has steadily grown, um, obviously we still have a huge budget and we still rely a ton on volunteers. But for many of these people who are staff members, before we could bring them on as staff, we didn't have funds to be able yeah. to to pay them as staff members. So we would say, "Hey, you know, come and volunteer." And, you know, we're going to see if we can come up with some funding to bring you on as a staff member. So many of them actually did come in and literally volunteer for, you know, months before we were able to bring them on as staff members. I remember one, one thing that stuck out to me when we started. Um, one, of, one, of our, one of our volunteers said to me, you know the difference about this place versus any other place that I've worked at? And he's worked at some other organizations. He said... Um, we do our meetings in Arabic. 
Which is a little hard for the Which two is a little hard for me because I, I don't speak <laughs> Arabic. And, hey, you but know, we translate. <laughs> we do have a translator and that's cool. But he said other places they do all their meetings in English and then anybody who's not speaking English, they're not, you know, they're not there. But like to me, you know, whether we do, and of course now he's more recently wanted to do our meetings in English because he's learning English and all that. But like, I feel like that sits somewhere in the center of that, right? This was community focused. It's, it's like, this is an Arabic speaking community. We're doing our work in Arabic. That's Yeah, I think we have to be, um, makes sense to me that we should do it that way. Even though I'm much more eloquent in leading a meeting in English, but yes, we all try our best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so we are approaching the end of the year. What are what are we all the most proud of this year? I didn't know you. You told me you were going to ask me this question earlier, and I was like, "Oh, I should really think of an answer," and I didn't in the intervening time. But like, so I'm just going to like what comes to my heart thinking about this is like, I'm really proud of the development of the people that we've worked with that's yeah well i was actually going to mention your um Uh your apps for no because it's really huge i mean you know before before you came in we literally were you know when refugees come in looking for help they're giving us their un paper and up until like a year and a half ago I had stacks and stacks and stacks of papers in my office and we were, we had tried all these various ways to collect data mm. and to be able to register people and, and, you know, they were working to various degrees, you know, not nearly as much as we wanted them to. Yeah. But now when I look at, you know, I was looking at, um, the way that we're assessing people and, um, I see that we are so much more streamlined in the way mm. that we're able to get information from people and not just looking at it from a data perspective, but also taking in the perspectives of our staff, our refugee staff who are doing the interviews. So we have this kind of, we have a very nuanced system. And I think that, I mean, not only are we pulling in kind of numbers to like really what's the word like datafy the information that we're trying <laughs> sure, to get sure. but yeah. we're also really like taking a human perspective too because it's sometimes it's really hard to get those nuances in through the numbers and so i feel really proud that you know we're able to see people faster we have people when we do distributions they're not sitting there for yeah, as long as they used to be sitting there really we have yeah. systems that are super streamlined yeah. um you know, our communication is good. We, uh, 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 good and getting better. Um, I would still love for it to get better and better, but you know, we have a Facebook page in Arabic, um, now that is very useful for the community to know what's going on. I just feel like we're really trying to have a human centered approach or we're able to do that more because Mm -hmm. we have more people who are competent. Um, we're able got a, a larger group of people to run things out yeah, yeah, and sure. and you're right i mean i i hope we're getting more organized it's, it's always good for me to hear feedback about what's going on because <laughs> i'm always like oh my gosh this is you know how's this going but but yeah i feel really proud that we're able to like assess people and do it yeah. in a humane way and pull that information in i want to say one more thing yeah. though that i'm really proud about too and and you know, we're still at the very beginning of this, but opening our new center. Yeah, and we're absolutely. definitely at that. the yeah. very, very, very beginning stages of this where we're we're not open every day of the week right now because we're really trying to sh- troubleshoot and do it well. And 
we still, you know, need to find more funds to be able to help people with emergency assistance at the new center and all of that. Mm. But the fact that we, just a couple of years ago, we really knew that Sudanese, Somalis, um, and we know about this growing Yemeni population that keeps coming in or that continue to come in. And now we are one of the first organizations that is is really opening a center that can serve these people. And so I, you know... It's a little scary because there's a lot that we're going to be doing yeah. and all that's going to be happening in the next, you know, starting up, you know, in really big in the coming like six months. But... And, and it was really scary. Yeah. Let's oh <laughs> just like pull back the curtain on this story because it, it came to mind. We, we actually met as a leadership team to like go through all of these like these doomsday scenarios <laughs> about the new center. Yeah, and... it was our leadership team and uh, a couple of our volunteers. Uh, Huda and Wasim. Yeah, and we, so we had all had our own separate little anxieties. And I think, Amanda, you had the really brilliant idea to put them all in one space so that we could kind of tear we them apart. We called it a post-mortem, like assume that everything yeah. <laughs> was a disaster. I had been envisioning, and I think many of us were like, a huge mob of people. Yeah, no, it. I mean, right. the fact that this new center is down in the very busiest part of the old part of the city, um, It's it has a very small entrance and right. it has, you know, it's right on the sidewalk with tons of shops and people busy. And I was just envisioning like, I don't know, hundreds of hundreds of people lined up and saying, we're hungry, give us food. And we right. couldn't get them in fast enough. Right. And so we, we, we met and we talked about all this doom uh, and gloom stuff. Um, and it didn't happen. Everything's been really lovely down at the new center. But that doesn't mean that in 2018 we haven't had challenges or problems. So what are some that come to mind and what did we do about them? Oh, that's not necessarily an easy question i mean i feel like that's kind of for me some of those challenges are a work in progress still i mean we have we are trying to absorb growth or or, i wouldn't say well we're trying to absorb growth in that so many of the large funds and the large organizations are drastically cutting their assistance to refugees and so they're coming to us so yes we are trying to absorb you know this these new huge numbers of people and all the people who showed up for back to school assistance this year absolutely which we we felt a little like oh my gosh we didn't know the numbers were going to be this big but we actually were able to to serve many or most of the people that that had come to and needed help um but we are now i think we've started this new center the environment the the funding environment is always a challenge and every year i feel like i say oh my gosh you know it's been more difficult than it ever has been before well it's true i mean you think it can't get worse and it gets worse so so in the face of that we've we've opened this new center we are continually trying to get funds from a diverse pool of funders whether it's individual donors people who give to us monthly grants etc um but yeah, we've just kind of taken a step up in that we're going to, we've got a new center. 
we're going to be doing more activities, this means that we're going to have to step up um, finding ways to support those and make sure that they can happen. And that also has meant um, bringing in more talent. Is there um, a moment that stands out to you this year? Like with somebody who you've really seen grow? I can think of a number of people. I mean, I can think of the young woman who is um, overseeing a lot of our, um, our, the gender-based violence work that we do and the women's leadership stuff and helping us to identify um, community leaders who are fit for training, setting up workshops and things like that. And, you know, I remember she actually has just learned that she's got a visa to get resettled to Australia. And I mean, that's like super, super exciting um, and great, but also very bittersweet because she's like one of our strongest employees now. Um, But yeah, I remember when she started with us a couple, like probably two and a half years ago. Um, Very timid, very shy. That's hard to Um, imagine. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) very, very, very different. Well, and so that that actually brings me to another question. Because when we talk about losses we've had this year, usually if you get asked that question, it's a really bad thing. Yeah. Um, But (laughs) at CRP, it's like we're all like cheering and celebrating. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it almost not not to um, make anyone assume that it's very regular that people are getting resettled because it is extremely rare. But. yeah, we've had a number of people who really lucked out and managed to get resettled this year, and I know when I was ju- when I just learned about about this latest um, staff member of ours who's getting resettled, I was like, I felt you know you feel so happy for them, and yeah. then you think, oh my gosh, yeah. like will we ever replace you? Yeah, but yeah. but also like you know sad as well. I mean, sad in that. You know, I feel like in many ways, like we're family and, you know, we see each other every day and, you know, enjoy sitting down and having a meal every day and all of that stuff. But also the kind of bittersweet part where you think, my gosh, you know, I do remember the first time that, you know, you came into work and like, look at you now. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Um, So, yeah. All right. So what's up ahead in 2019? Mm-hmm. 2019. Um, well, we have our new center open, and of course, the majority of our work is at is at our first center, the Hashimi Center. So you know, definitely the new center is not eclipsing um, in terms of how much work we're doing. Um, but we are going to be ramping up our activities in the new year in the new center. So right now we are doing emergency assistance stuff at the new center, but we will be starting um, youth activities at the new center. We'll be starting nutrition um, education sessions. Um, I don't know if we've ta- we haven't really talked much here about about malnutrition issues in the Sudanese Somali community that that we've identified. We've put in a working kitchen in that new center. That's going really nice kitchen. Yeah, it's really great. So we will be having um, we'll be doing community nutrition awareness sessions and trying to you know look at ways that people. Um, can make nutritious meals and make sure that their families and their kids are, are getting nutritious meals on, on meals on, you know, a shoestring budget, those kind of things. Um, 
we're getting ready as well to purchase some um, laptops and technology and things like that so we can start computer classes. I imagine we'll be starting or we're planning to start English classes pretty soon down there as well. Um, yeah, so that stuff is going to start moving. Well, right. I remember at the beginning of the year, you saying, we need more programs for teens. Oh my gosh. And that's something <laughs> that, so that like, like a, a year ago we were, yeah. I think we were even really saying at this time last year in yeah. like on Facebook and stuff like, you know, like we need help. Like we need more for teens. And now we have at least three new teen programs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of teen We wanted to also start looking at early childhood. Out. No, we haven't really started you know, in full, a whole early childhood program, but we've started doing childcare and that was something that we knew we needed to do. And that to me, I think when I think about 2018 and I think what am I the most proud of that we've done in 2018, it's childcare because it really in one program kind of exemplifies how we help whole families. So having a safe place for kids, kids who like, I've been in some of these homes and a toddler might have one plastic giraffe and that is their only toy that that is their only stimulation and you know we we had been having so many great programs for for school-age kids and nothing for somebody under school age so now they can come and learn those fine motor skills of you know just holding a crayon and putting a crayon on paper um while their moms are benefiting from our programs, from going to English classes and beauty school and a hope workshop and women's empowerment and um, Zumba and yoga and all of those things. Um, So I'm also really looking forward to the fact that that's one of the first things that we're going to start at the new center, I think is so cool. But money doesn't magically fall out of trees. Um, we needed more money this year than we did last year in order to reach those goals. We'll probably need even more money next year. Um, but we're at a good time right now because we are in our end of year fundraising campaign. This year, our theme is share the gift of peace. And Jason, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that theme and why it really exemplifies what we do at CRP. Yeah, I'm. I would love to. I, I had a I had a friend who was a monthly donor uh, who came. They did have the opportunity to come to Jordan, and we uh, we gave them a little tour. Uh, and they came in and he said, "Wow, you know, I can really feel. Um, I can just feel that this is a healing place." And that stuck with me. I was really my friend Brad Winkler. If you're listening, thank you for visiting. I'm not gonna pretend like it's been a great couple years for news. Um, I'm sure everybody who's listening to this is, is, is very well informed and knows that it's a tough time. And I know personally, I felt a lot that like, when I see what's happening, when I see the dialogue, when I see um, the, the migrant crisis, the refugee crisis, the wars that continue and grow, I think like, I mean, it's overwhelming. It's natural. Like everybody feels that way. I always, when I was younger, I was like, oh, well, how do we fix all this? And as I'm getting older, I know that that's not necessarily true. But I do know that we can create peace. What does peace mean? Peace on a world scale, maybe that's not attainable or even within our power. But like, what does peace mean for a person or for a family? Um, you know, maybe it means having food on the table so that you're not 
hungry, uh, so you're sleeping well, so you're able to learn, you know, um, so that you're able to not have strife at home. You know, maybe it means having friends, not being so socially isolated, uh, because social isolation is a huge problem in our community, uh, especially for women and children. Um, so giving them a place where they can meet other people who aren't of their family. Um, maybe it's uh, it's the piece of, of, of hopelessness, of saying, like, I'm not bettering myself, and I'm stuck, and I'm in this country, and I'm not working, and I don't know where I'm going to go, and I don't know what's going to happen. And so this concept of peace, I'm just like, what does peace mean on a small level? And to me, it, it means the work that we're doing at CRP. It means education. It means uh, working on trauma relief, because those things, they spread outward, I believe. I believe that spreads outward from... Uh, if an individual is helped, if they can and can reconcile the trauma or the conflict within themselves, uh, then when they go out in the world, uh, they're not carrying that or putting that on other people. So they're building a peaceful place. And that's like where you build community, right? By having people who are uh, at least managing their trauma well. And so peace, like how, how do we do that? And so starting with this, this, this nut of, of, of peace and peace building and peace banking, we went on and said, okay, um, we kind of have to like tie it. I want to, I, I'm building the bridge. So that's the work. Like that's the outcome. The outcome is peace in these people's lives, but I always want to tie it back to the donors. And so that's what I'm saying. Like share this gift of peace. Like um, you as a supporter of CRP, you have so much power. Like you don't even know. Mm-hmm. You have so much power. Um, to change lives. To to yeah. bring peace to individuals in our community. Maybe not to change the whole world and the whole spectrum of problems, but but to help on the small individual level. Yeah, of- and I like what you say, Jason, about how um, wishing that you could just bring people to, you know, we could bring the center the, to them or vice versa. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, it's amazing, and I say this a lot when I when I'm out and you know talking about CRP wherever I happen to be. Um, you'd probably be quite shocked by what you would see if you go to our center. I mean, there's a lot of happiness. Yeah. There's a lot of joy. Yeah. There's a lot of amazing good energy, and I mean, literally, when I park my car and I walk through sometimes throngs of people to walk up to my office. These are people who are standing outside. They want, you know, they might not know where they're getting their next meal. They're coming because they're, they, they need help. And, you know, I always try to look them in the eye, smile and say, welcome. And, and I'm always like, sometimes I feel overwhelmed. Like, my gosh, there are so many people who, who need stuff, but I feel that, I don't know. Like I always get a smile. I always yeah. feel like people feel grateful, but also happy to be there in some way. I don't know. Like I don't know what it is. Like maybe there's like some weird magnetic field around yeah. around our center, but it is. I mean, it 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 has a vibe and a lovely energy to it. Um, it's a place where people can relax, where they can yeah. feel a little bit uh, a semblance of of their normal life because they're getting their basic needs met and they're working on new skills and they're having fun and they're having in many fun. cases. And they're meeting yeah. people. So our goal is pretty big. It's $125,000, 75 new monthly donors. 
But that's really what we need. We really, yeah. really need it. We don't. So <laughs> not, yeah. we, not to sound too <laughs> glum, but we honestly, it's an extremely challenging time. Um, the past, we don't work on a month by month basis, but the past few months have been pretty dry for us. We haven't had a lot of people donating. And so we really, really, like in order for us to be able to reach the people that we need to reach in the coming six months, we really need people to turn out. I mean, we put it on the website. We use this, uh, we use this everywhere, but we say, you know, $56 feeds a family for a month. And I'm so tickled whenever we see $56 donations come uh, in. Yeah. It happens uh-huh. all the time. It happens all the time. And we see it. And we're like, ah, this person. Because yes. you're like, I don't always get to talk to the donors right away. But I'm like, okay, I, 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 I feel means. where you're at. I feel where you're yeah. at. Um, and it's true. And like, think about the difference between a family having a meal for a month versus not. And what trajectory does that send a person? I'm making hand motions. a very visual podcast here. Um what, tra- what trajectory does that send someone on if they can count on having food on their table? So when you give that $56, it's not just like groceries. It's like hope. It's, 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 it's stability. It's the ability to build from there. So uh, for everybody who does that, special thank you for $56 donors. Um, but, but of course, thanks to everyone. And thank you, Amanda. And thank you, Jason. My for pleasure. Taking the time to talk to us today. So, Judy, uh, what's happened at CRP over the past month? Well, like you just heard, we are in the middle of our big fundraising campaign where we're trying to raise $125,000 and get 75 new monthly donors. But because it is the end of the year, we're actually closing our center in a few days to go on break. For some of us, that means we'll still be working because our job doesn't stop, um, myself in particular. Uh, But we like to give a lot of our staff a break when we can, and it being um, the end of the year, it's a good time to do that. So we'll be back open again in January um, for all of our distributions and our center programming and stuff like that. But it's also a good time, uh, not that there's ever a good time for interns and volunteers to leave us, but there's a kind of a natural marking um, period where a lot of folks are are heading um, back to their home countries, a lot of the foreign interns and volunteers. So it's a bit bittersweet. Um, We've seen them really grow and change and help us out. And now it's time to say goodbye. Bittersweet. Bittersweet. Well, thanks so much to all the interns and volunteers at CRP and everyone else uh, who's helped the center over the past year. Um, thanks so much uh, to Amanda again for sitting down with us. If you'd like to uh, learn more about Collateral Repair Project, as always, you can go to www.collateralrepairproject.org. And if you would like to make a donation to the end of your program, that's collateralrepairproject.org peace. Thanks so much and have a happy holidays.